BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is Senator Maisie Hirono, the U.S. Senator from Hawaii, the Democrat from Hawaii. Hirono, H-I-R-O-N-O dot Senate dot gov is the website and the Twitter handle is Maisie, M-A-Z-I-E Hirono. Senator Hirono, welcome to the program. It's so nice to have you with us. I spent the weekend with your book, Heart of Fire, An Immigrant Daughter's Story, and it is extraordinary. You have written a masterpiece. Oh, my gosh, Tom. That is high praise coming from you. Thank you so much. Good to be with well, you. Thank you. It's, it is a pleasure and an honor to have you with us. I, I had no idea about your background. I, we could talk so long about so many things, but first of all, just as an immigrant, story of your brother and, and your mother and, your, and the trouble your father and everything, all of this stuff, and as an Asian immigrant, for that matter, what are your thoughts right now on the crisis that seems to be befalling the Asian community in the United States in terms of hate crimes that seem to be provoked by Donald Trump's promoting racist stereotypes and language around the coronavirus? Well, we've all seen the rise in hate crimes, totally unprovoked hate crimes against Asian Americans. And most recently, I just saw a clip of a person in New York having his head stomped on. This is this is terrible. So racism, you know, the, the racism is never far below the surface in our country. And Asians, Asian American Pacific Islanders are the perpetual outsiders and the other perpetual foreigners. So every once in a while, um, you know, we would have things like the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, the internment of 120,000 Japanese Americans during World War II, the Muslim ban, it comes up. And yes, we have the the um, racism against blacks that we have never uh, dealt with and faced up to in our country. So racism is never far below the surface. But with regard to the AAPI community, we have seen a, a huge increase in unprovoked attacks. And, and and I would say that let's connect the dots. When you have a, a Trump saying that this is a China virus, his administration calling it the Kung Fu, you've created an environment and atmosphere where the animus against uh, the other comes forward horrendous ways. 
Yeah. Well, toward the end of your book, you mentioned that when Trump lost his Twitter handle, you said, this is from memory, so you said something like, Gollum has lost his precious on Twitter. Yes. Do you think that the loss of Donald Trump's media platform, although I know that Mark Zuckerberg is debating giving it back to him on Facebook, but do you think that that has been a good thing? Do you, or do you think that the genie's out of the bottle and, and Trump is irrelevant now? This is, there's a racist, the racist movement that was always kind of embarrassed and underground in America. America is now out and loud and proud. The social media is huge, and I am grateful that Trump doesn't have his tweet anymore. And yes, a lot of Lord of the Rings people came out and, and retweeted my tweet. <laughs> so, yes, I um, can see why. But there's so much. There's so much stuff. There's so much misinformation and disinformation on these platforms that in some ways the genie is out of the bottle. On the other hand, there are efforts to try and uh, hold these platforms, the, uh, the social media platforms, more accountable for the content. Yeah, it seems at the very least requiring them to publish the details of their algorithms, both the code and in English language, exactly. Here's how we take somebody from watching a Trump video to watching a Holocaust denying video. This is why we promote them from one to the other, that kind of thing might be a useful first step, but that's just me. You have an entire chapter on your book about Betty Friedan and me, although reading the chapter, I kept looking for a Betty Friedan story. Maybe I missed it, I'm not sure, but you also in the New York Times wanted a picture of you and, and you were there with the feminine mystique. Tell us about feminism, Betty Friedan. What impact did this have on your life, and how do you bring this into the work that you're doing as a United States senator? Betty Friedan's Feminine Mystique, which I read in college, very much changed the way I I began to look at what I was going to do with my life, because while I was raised by this really courageous single mother with no father in sight, I still had taken on the expectations of the dominant culture, which was that we get married, we have children. And so I read this book and I thought, why the heck am I even thinking like that when that's not been my experience at all? And why should I wait around for some guy to take care of me? So I began to start thinking about my own path. But I can honestly say that aside from my mother, who single-handedly changed my life by bringing me to this country, if anyone were to ask me, what is the one book that changed your thinking, I'd say that book. It it truly was a pivot point in (laughs) certainly American history in my lifetime, and you and I are about the same age. You have a chapter called Across the Isle, and in this chapter you talk about, for example, working with Jeff Sessions, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. And you talk about, I was reminded that even though my Republican colleagues and I could sometimes meet on the same page, we remained far apart on many issues. And you talk about times when you actually were successful in bipartisan efforts, and times when you were unsuccessful, and you mentioned you know, the Gang of Eight's a- efforts to fix this system and everything. Are you reconsidering, or, or what are your thoughts on that right now, now that Mitch McConnell ha- and the Republican Party have gone so far as to forbid uh, President Obama from having uh, Garland for you know, over a year to just say no to any kind of legislation, even when it has 70, 80, 90 percent popularity among the American people, but they'll force through a giant tax cut that has 21 percent popularity. Is bipartisanship even a thing anymore, at least in Congress? I realize, you know, lots of Republicans support things like Joe Biden's uh, infrastructure plan. 
The Senate is a very divided place, and one of the major reasons it's divided is uh, Mitch McConnell. If Mitch said tomorrow, we're going to reach out, we're going to work cooperatively with the Democrats, it would happen. There would still be the holdouts, you know, the usual suspects. But he won't do that because he wants to retake the Senate in two years. And so all of the things that we need to do, such as the huge infrastructure bill that will create jobs, lasting benefits, policing reform bill, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, all of the other things that we need to be enacting will not happen, I don't think, without the filibuster reform. Yeah, so big that, step. That you, is something that we're going to need to face up to if we really want to do the kinds of things that the people want and need. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about your experience twice now, having to go through surgery as a result of stage four kidney cancer. And uh, in particular, in your One Nation Under Siege chapter, you talked about, I'd been a child whose uninsured family could not afford routine, let alone crisis health care. And now you are an American with a pre-existing condition. That story of having that rib removed, just, whoa, that seemed really, really rough. But where are you at in your thinking right now on how we deal with health care in the United States? Having been not just part of this process for so many years as a politician, but also, you know, as a person who has seen the best and worst of American health care and, and arguably the best and worst of what can happen to a human being medically. I'm going to continue to fight like heck for health care as a right, not a privilege. Mm-hmm. So we're not, at least we're not going to see further efforts on the Senate side as long as the Democrats are in control, efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act, although the case is before the Supreme Court. So uh, uh, it remains to be seen what they're going to do with health care. But uh, everything matters when you have the Democrats in charge of the agenda. We should be making sure that everybody, corporations especially, pay their fair share of taxes, which they are not. So yeah. uh, it makes a difference, right? And I will continue to fight for health care because there are millions of people with pre-existing conditions. This is a thing. I'm so glad you read my book, but I hope that people will find uh, different areas where they can relate. There's millions with cancer in our country. There are millions of people who haven't been able to see their loved ones during the pandemic. And, of course, for women to be underestimated and told, not your turn, and, you know, we don't want to hear from you, that that is something that a lot of us have gone through, not to mention sexual harassment that a lot of us have gone through. It's an absolutely amazing book. I could not put it down. Heart of Fire, an Immigrant Daughter's Story by Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Senator Hirono, thank you so much for writing this book, and thank you for dropping by and sharing it with us. Thank you so much. Stay safe, everyone. Be kind. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Have a great one. Listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We thought that January 6th was the peak of the authoritarian effort to end democracy in America and replace it with, you know, strongman authoritarian rule. Turns out it was just the tip of the iceberg, and there's a whole bunch of that iceberg that's underwater that most Americans are not seeing. The headline is, New Red State Evil Plot Going Authoritarian and Ditching Democracy. 
are these guys going to be ready by next year in 2024? I think they are. And it's not just about Donald Trump. It's about ending democracy altogether in this country and replacing it with a wealthy, white, aristocratic oligarchy. And by the way, as I lay out in my book, The Hidden History of Oligarchy, we're already more than halfway there. But red state after red state right now, they are just nakedly and openly flipping from democracy into a form of authoritarian oligarchy. And they're doing this at the state level. They are passing laws criminalizing protests with such severe penalties that if you just if you show up at a protest and you put your foot off the sidewalk and into the street, boom, 15 years in prison. They are legalizing the murder of pro-democracy, anti-fascist protesters. So like the guy who drove his car into that crowd when, when you had the uh, Trump Nazi protest or whatever you want to call it, Jews will not replace us thing going on in Charlottesville, North Carolina. Uh, Trump's very fine people. You know, the guy who drove his car and killed Heather Heyer. Well, under this new law that, that has been introduced into three states, passed in one, and is looking to be introduced into at least a half a dozen or a dozen other states over the next week or so, under this new law, it's sort of like stand your ground, like, you know, how Trayvon Martin's killer got away with it, which is to say that if you're in a riot, and of course the police would have to declare it a riot, which they're, you know, pretty enthusiastic about doing. Oh, there's a bunch of black people together. They're in the streets. Let's call it a riot. If you're in a riot and you have a car and you want to get out of that riot and you just have to run over a few people on the way to do it, whether you injure them, break a few legs, kill them, whatever, hey, you're just standing your ground. You're just getting out of there. It's totally safe. No problem. And then finally, and probably the most alarming, and this is the thing that gets the least publicity, all of these laws like the law that was passed in Georgia, the law that was passed in Iowa, uh, other laws that are pending in a, in a dozen or more other red states. Mostly this is happening in red states, but a lot of this is happening in what you might call purple states, states where the legislature is still controlled by Republicans, but the statewide offices are going increasingly to Democrats. And this is, you know, the legislature is controlled by Republicans because of gerrymandering. I'm talking about states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona. What we're seeing is that in these states, state after state, the Republicans are actually taking over the mechanism of voting. They're pushing, as they did in Georgia, they're, they're, Brad Raffensperger, the, the Secretary of State in Georgia, he's the guy who you know, is supposed to sign off on the, vote, on the final vote. They just took him out of the loop altogether. Said, sorry, Brad, you got nothing to say about this. It's going to be up to uh, Republican officials now. We're going to decide which votes are going to be counted and which aren't. Uh, we got some votes here from Fulton County, a lot of black people there in, in Atlanta. We're not sure we want to count those votes. We'll just set those aside. Right? That's how it's going to work. This is the new Republican plan. And if so, and, and now we've got, I mean, you know, you can see this right now in Arizona, where the Arizona state legislature, controlled by Republicans, hired this conspiracy nut group that has never before audited an election to come in and audit the election in Arizona where they're, they're looking at each single ballot and they've got like blue pens where they can change the ballots. I mean, it's just bizarre. It looks like they're rigging the recount so that they can say, oh yeah, Trump won Arizona. Hey, I wonder if he won Georgia too. I wonder if he won Michigan. This is nuts.
And why is this? Because these Republicans don't believe in democracy. They think it's a quaint idea, but it's outdated. And what we really need to do is just let the really smart people run the country. And who are the really smart people? Well, this is kind of the secular version of Calvinism. You know, hundreds of years ago, John Calvin's followers were like, okay, if we're going to elect our own officials, if we're not going to go with kings who are appointed by God, how do we figure out who God really wants to run the show? Oh, look at the rich people. Well, same thing. Who are the really smart people who should run the country? The really rich people. And our media is constantly amplifying this. Hey, let's get Bill Gates on and listen to what he has to say. He's a really smart guy. Let's go to Davos and listen to the billionaires. Any ideas on how to stop them? It seems to me that this is this is something aggressively we have to go after in the ballot box. But with the Supreme Court now, it's going to be a real challenge. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Just to scroll back just a little bit, I was talking about how these Republican authoritarians really and truly don't believe in democracy. And they think that, that they're the brightest and best and that the rules don't apply to them and that they should have, you know, the authority and power and essentially their own their own rules. And to a large extent, they do. I mean, just look at what happened in 2008, for example. You had a bunch of banksters who crashed the economy. We gave them trillions of dollars. Steve Mnuchin threw thousands of people out of their homes illegally. The state attorney general could have prosecuted him. She chose not to, but, you know, she could have. He made millions. Thousands of people lost their homes. Some of them had their families fall apart, their marriages fall apart. I'm betting, I'm guessing that there were suicides. Was he ever held accountable? No, no. Donald Trump made him treasury secretary. I don't mean just to pick on Steve Mnuchin. He's, you know, one of hundreds of them. The one guy who actually did go to jail for financial fraud during that era was Bernie Madoff. But what was his crime? He ripped off rich people. Now, that's a serious crime. You can't have that. So the Center for Media and Democracy looked at who is funding the people who voted, the senators and members of the House, 147 members of the House, and I, I believe it was eight senators, I could be wrong, and the senators who voted to overturn the 2020 election. Who were these people? And who funded them? And I'm not talking about campaign contributions. This is all dark money. This is the money you don't even know about until long after the campaign. This literally just came out last week. Josh Hawley and Rick Scott are probably the two leading candidates for president on the Republican side in 2024. Now, this is just dark money. This isn't the money that went into their campaigns. This isn't the money their campaigns spent. 
But looking at the last time these, and this is in these cases as well as the House, the last time any of these people faced an election, Josh Hawley received $41,169,601 from dark money sources. Unaccountable. Rick Scott received $35,142,565. The right-wing billionaires put over $67 million into Kevin McCarthy's Congressional Leadership Fund. They put it to support the 147 members of the House who voted against the election results in 2020. They put $40 million into Mitch McConnell's Senate Leadership Fund to support similarly funding or voting Republican senators. This isn't the total amount of money that went into these funds. This is the total amount of money that went into these funds that was then spent to support Republicans who wanted to overthrow democracy in America. They document, this is, this is uh, you know, the Center for Media and Democracy. They documented how Ted Cruz got $8 million. Colorado's gun fetishist, Lauren Boebert, she got $4,917,827 dark dollars spent on her behalf. Again, didn't go through her campaign. She didn't spend that money. It was spent to get her elected. The top husband and wife team who threw dark money into the last election cycle to help people who wanted to overthrow democracy. The one single couple put in $191.4 million. The number two person was a hedge fund CEO. He put in $59.8 million. Just behind him was a guy who inherited a fortune from his daddy. He tossed in $50 million, followed by another Wall Street guy, $46 million. And the list goes on. I mean, Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch tossed in $2 million, which was less than half of the $4.4 million that Betsy DeVos put in for dark money. But the Murdoch's network, Fox News, they've done the really heavy lifting in saying, yeah, democracy, it's not such a good idea. You know, uh, we, you know it's, you're going to have black people voting, really? You can't, you know, we've we, we got to change things here. And so you get people like Tucker Carlson with this. Tucker Carlson is getting a salary of about a million dollars a month to spread this poison, $10 million a year, to spread this, according to news reports, to spread this poison that white authoritarian rule is necessary to keep America from descending into chaos caused by dark-skinned hordes of immigrants and black people who are allowed to vote. Oh, my God. You know, Ronald Reagan supported, openly, nakedly supported apartheid in South Africa, as did virtually all the Republican Party at the time. The modern conservative movement, they're still supporting apartheid. They just support it here. We thought we dodged a bullet with the 2020 election. We thought, you know, after January 6th, okay, we're still here. We still have a democracy. It's all good. But Republicans in state after state are getting ready for 2022 and 2024 to imprison protesters, to allow counter-protesters to kill protesters and to put Republican partisans in charge of deciding whose vote gets countered and who doesn't. What do we do about this? Who do we wake up? How do we take this on? It seems to me like we have to activate every Democrat in America and we need to just raise absolute holy hell, which is what I'm trying to do right now. It's just amazing what's going on here in this country right now. We're literally having a debate, a war, a, 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 a I'm, I'm lacking a word because it's neither a debate nor a war. It is 
an all-out effort by a small group of billionaires, ALEC right now, uh, the American Legislative Exchange Council, is having a special meeting. I posted my rant this morning over at Democratic Underground, and one of the people in the comments posted a link to, you know, ALEC hasn't publicly announced this, but to a group that has kind of outed what they're up to. I mean, they're doing everything they can to get around democracy. As far as I can tell, you know, to make sure that they can maintain gerrymandering and that they can rig the votes by manipulating the voter rolls, who gets to vote, who doesn't get to vote, who's on the roll, who's not on the roll. We are looking at an all-out assault on the very idea of democracy. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened in the United States. This happened in the southern states between 1820 and 1850, or 1860. And we defeated it. But it's happening all over again, and it's happening with many of the exact same memes, the same, you know, the same racist ideology, the same white supremacist ideology, the same, you know, we've got to limit the vote, that's how we win elections. I mean, it just goes on and on. And we've got to be paying attention to this. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, I'm calling in to uh, chip in a hundred and 95% about what you're ranting about this morning. And uh, number one, it's very happy to hear that you are awoken regarding the Republican Party. Republicans, they are healthy, they are wealthy, and at the moment they're going to sweep both the House and the Senate in 2022 for all of the reasons you spoke. So I'm chipping in. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm yeah. not betting on well, that, yeah, no, but no, they're I certainly planning I mean, on and it. And I'm fighting. I want to give you three hidden reasons that we should call the corporate media the oligarch media. Number one, it's the truth. Number two, it's not the corporations. It's the oligarchs who own that corporate media. It's the stockholders. We don't own that. Number three, calling the corporate media the oligarch media informs those in independent media okay, about exactly who they are up against. And it informs that there are only a relative few oligarch news talking heads who are paid millions for oligarch speak. And the reason yeah. I'm, I'm saying to you, this isn't done yet, we haven't voted yet, but the fact of the matter is, is the Democrats don't vote for something, Tom. They only vote against something, and we don't have Trump. So getting out the vote is going to be critical. Oligarch media is going to just speak the Republicans' language. So they what's your solution, you know, Robin? My solution is keep talking. Talk less about oligarch media, what MSNBC, what anybody else is saying. Organize locally, get out the votes, reach out to the kids, the youth, and just get more people out to vote. Talk to people yeah. to say, look, we need to vote for something. The one thing that actually gives me a lot of hope is what happened in Georgia, where, you know, in the Warnock Ossoff election. And what we saw there was even in the face of generations of voter suppression down in Georgia. Louise and I lived in Georgia for 13 years. You know, we saw this firsthand. I never waited more than 10 or 15 minutes to vote. I doubt I even waited five minutes to vote. We lived in the white suburbs. But we knew that just down the road, in, when we lived in Marietta and just down the road from Marietta and Atlanta, 
there were people in the black parts of town that were waiting 8, 10, 12 hours to vote. And, you know, it was somewhat effective. There were people who would wait that long, but there were a lot of people who were like, hey, I've got to get a pay, you know, I've got to work. I'm paid by the hour. If I don't show up, I get fired, which was exactly the plan. So this time around, and they didn't even have the voter suppression stuff in effect. I mean, this is just the old fashioned voter suppression in this last election. They didn't even have the new voter suppression in effect. But what happened was because it was so widely publicized that the Republicans were trying to suppress the vote, people turned out in huge numbers. Now, let's acknowledge Stacey Abrams' role in this. She and her organization, Fair Fight, which I have donated money to and I encourage you to as well. This is a great organization that's really worthy of our support. And I plugged the organization with a link to it in my op-ed from HartmanReport.com. You know, they did a lot. And they brought a lot of people to the polls. I'm hopeful, I'm not certain, but I'm hopeful that as state after state after state goes out of their way to make it harder and harder and harder for people to vote, that Democrats are going to be sufficiently energized and pissed off by this that they're going to show up in even and ever larger numbers. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Tyrone in Harlem, New York. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? One time you said to me about they were having problems with the economic anxiety, uh, some of these people that are voting against their own yeah. interests and have this. Yeah, I've largely changed my mind. I think it's all about racism, <laughs> <Okay>. frankly. Yeah. <laughs> has more to do with the fact that they want it, to make- it depends on where you are in the country you know i'm guessing probably in in red states with very very small black populations it's still about the economy but certainly in a state like georgia it's all about racism yeah it has a lot to do with the fact that the changing of this country has uh, made them so uneasy you know and mm-hmm. i don't see where we where we get through this without major um bloodshed i just I just because we had to get our independence from England, bloodshed. Civil war that had to stop cattle slavery, bloodshed. The idea that white supremacists, white supremacy is not the law of the land of America, that's something that they're not going to give up. The bloodshed is happening right now, Tyrone. I mean, this whole thing about Andrew Brown Jr., you know, being shot in the back 10 times, uh, if you know, or at least that's the allegation so far. You know, what happened to George Floyd? I mean, we're watching blood being shed. There were six people killed by police the day of the Chauvin verdict. Now, it turned out that four or five of them were white guys and wanted, like, killed somebody and another was robbing somebody. I mean, some of them might have been justified, but... There is blood being shed every single day in America, and not just by police. No. <laughs> That's one of the more visible yeah. things. And I don't think that we need to have another civil war. I think we are in the midst of a Cold War version of a civil war, and frankly have been for 40 years, and it's just now coming to a head. And I realize that you've got groups out there like the Boogaloo Boys and whatnot who have just openly said that their goal is to create a race war in the United States, a civil war in the United States. The Tim McVeigh, when he blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City, he had read the Turner Diaries, which is a book that starts with a white guy 
blowing up the federal building in Oklahoma City, causing a, uh, a Bill Clinton kind of Democratic president to say, OK, that's it. We're taking everybody's guns away. They start taking people's guns away. The good white people rise up, overthrow the government, kill all the black people, kill all the Jews, kill all the Hispanics. And at the end, you know, you've got this good white guy with his gun, you know, like Charlton Heston standing there on top of this pile of bodies saying, we took America back, right? That was what animated Tim McVeigh. That was what animated Terry Nichols. That's what animated an entire generation, really, of mm-hmm. these militia groups, the people that I knew growing up in, in the Michigan militia, uh, or at least I knew one of them. And, uh, well, you know, I knew a couple of them, but I knew one fairly well. And, and uh, you know, they, they were all about America not changing, you know, white power, white, you know, it's a stable government, you know, it's the Anglo-Saxon thing and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, to quote Lauren Boebert, or, no, no, it was uh, Marjorie Trader Green, um, you know, the, the, the Anglo-Saxon. But I think we're already there, Tyrone, and I'm wary of language that feeds yeah. into their shtick that, you know, it's got to be a shooting war because I think it's got to be something. This has to be done at the ballot box. Yeah, but you, as you've seen on the 6th, they're ready to get rid of the ballot box. That's the yeah. problem. So we have to be visual on what we're doing yeah. here. Because but the, but the thing, we're not, the thing we probably won't know until November of next year, you know, another 15 months or so from now or whatever, however long it is till November. 18 months, whatever. The thing we're not going to know is whether their voter suppression efforts are going to be effective or not. There are people out there who, you know, commentators who are saying this is going to be backfiring on them badly. I sure hope they're right. We'll see. Tyrone, thank you for the call. To Tom Hartman. Over at the Washington Post, Karon Demirajan is uh, writing. Congress's pursuit of an independent investigation into the January 6th insurrection is facing long odds as bipartisan resolve to hold the perpetrators and investigators accountable erodes and Republicans face sustained pressure to disavow an investigation to disavow that it was supporters of President, former, uh, former President Donald Trump who attacked the U.S. Capitol. Uh, the Republicans are also insisting if there's going to be any kind of investigation, it has to lean heavily on investigating BLM and Antifa. After all, they're the ones at fault here, right? All right. Chauncey DeVega is on the line with us, one of the best political essayists and commentators we have in this country these days, a commentator over at Salon, a contributor to Salon. In fact, his most recent piece was published there. Uh, Forgetting Won't Save You from Authoritarianism is the title. His website, Chauncey DeVega, D-E-V-E-G-A dot com. Chauncey DeVega also has Twitter handle. Chauncey, welcome back. Um, how, first of all, how alarmed are you about this, uh, this great forgetting that seems that we seem to be in the middle of? It's only been almost 100 days now since Joe Biden was elected president, and folks are acting like it's 100 years. Contrary to popular opinion and this disimagination machine, this Orwellian throw it all down, the memory hole machine anchored by the right wing, but also enabled, unfortunately, by the corporate Democrats and so many others. And I'll say many average Americans because they've been traumatized. You see, they think you can run away. You can cover your eyes. You can hide. And the threat is gone. These folks are still plotting. They're still planning. On January 6th, we saw a white supremacist, neo-fascist coup attempt. Trump, his allies, the Republicans, their foot soldiers, and we're acting like it was 100 years ago. These folks are still actively planning. I hope folks watched that 60 Minutes interview with the three percenters basically saying they're working with law enforcement and also the military. That's been long documented. 
But I see what this organized forgetting, folks have not learned from history, to forget intentionally is to ensure a second coup attempt and to ensure that the second Donald Trump is far worse than the first one. And the next Donald Trump will succeed. Yeah, and, and be a lot smarter. And I'm, I'm betting on Rick Scott or Tom Cotton or Josh Hawley, one of those guys. Um, I'm, I'm completely with you. The, the, the memory hole, as it were, I, you know, it's, it's like people don't want... Well, the, the, my biggest concern, frankly, is your phrase, coup attempt, I think is absolutely spot on. This was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States by force. And yet... Our media keeps referring to it as a riot, or if they want to dance up to the edge of it, they call it an, an attempted insurrection. This was an attempted coup d'etat. This was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. It was the second attempt in our history, and in my opinion, it is not being dealt with as such an, an historic event. Um, your thoughts on why that might be and what we can do about it, Chauncey DeVega. Well, I think the mainstream corporate Assuming news media, well, they enabled this. Think about how they denied your worries, your cautions, mine, many others. Folks who were screaming from the battlements that Donald Trump is not kidding. He's plotting a coup in plain sight. Turn on Fox News. Go online. This was not an intelligence failure. This was done in plain sight. And I'm going to caution the public. I, be- I believe that the full truth of this will never be known because it would expose the rot in the corporate news media, it would expose the, the true rot in the Republican Party. It would expose these co-conspirators in the Republican Party. And notice how quickly that story went away, right? So mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with accountability, because think about it. The mainstream corporate news media, they said we were hysterical. We were crazy. This can't happen in America. And here's the counterfactual thought experiment. It's not a hard one. If this were another country where you had the military ordered basically to stand down, you had the regime basically publicly inciting an attack. They overrun the police. They gain access to the building. There are people there with zip ties. There are folks who planted bombs, apparently. We still haven't found that person. People with guns. They're attacking people. And again, throwing down the memory hole. What was there at that site? It wasn't a game or a joke with this quote-unquote insurrection language that so many use without qualifying. They had a working gallows across the street. They were looking for people Mm -hmm. to kill, and they were announcing they were going to kill them. Take it to the next step. If they had been successful that day and killed, because they were there to kill people, the vice president, any number of senior representatives, this country would have been crippled from the top down. And who knows what would have happened with the Supreme Court and the law. You have been very outspoken about this, Chauncey, for some time. I have been, too. In fact, I published a book about it, um, uh, you know, The Hidden History of Oligarchy. And, and it's you know, all about exactly what's going on right now and the parallels between Trump. And I think the most vivid contemporary analog is Viktor Orban in Hungary, what he has done. But all that said, I'm still not hearing American politicians, I'm still not hearing the press calling this what it is. I wrote a piece a couple days ago over at HartmanReport.com saying, I don't want another commission, another bipartisan commission. The Warren Commission was a whitewash. The 9-11 Commission left out all kinds of stuff that was embarrassing to the Saudis and to the Bush family. We don't need a bipartisan commission. We need prosecutors. We need the Department of Justice to go after these people. We need congressional inquiries where that are out in the open where democratic members of congress can ask the hard questions and can ignore jim jordan when he tries to bloviate well on one hand i've been very hard on uh, and i call him champion joe biden when he's doing the right thing i'm hard on him when he's messing up and i praise him when he's right 
So he wants this bipartisanship. He wants this unity. He keeps using that language, and now they've pivoted. They say, well, we don't mean the Republican Party. We mean Republican voters, right? So they have that right. cover there, and it's a political strategy. Okay, it makes sense. You're getting what you want in terms of enacting this great progressive agenda, something that could potentially be great. You know, so again, he's only been president almost 100 days, so we have a long way to go to see if he reverts back to his impulses. But we need a truth committee. We need public hearings. But Biden is not really given the signal, and I know they're independent technically to the DOJ, to say, come down on these people. I want public hearings. We need to have these people removed from the government. Who are these Republicans that were allegedly collaborating? How come the police were ordered to stand down in all essence? And again, the counterfactual, you and I and your listeners know if those are brown or black folks, anyone tangentially related to the left, they would have rained hellfire on them. And we would still be talking about this issue to this day. But again, as they were preparing to back in June, we have all the data that says, you know what, they are ready when it's Black Lives Matter or when it's just liberals, progressives in general fighting for a true we the people democracy. But you have so many parties, Democrats, Republicans, the corporate news media who want a return to normal. They are structurally, personally, ideologically invested in it. So when you and I tell the truth about how we are literally dancing on a razor right now, this situation is so far from resolved. That's too frightening. So that's too scary. So on January 4th, Chris Miller issued this memo. He was the acting Secretary of Defense, a total Trump toady, saying that to the National Guard, you may not use even helmets, batons, weapons, ammunition. Uh, you may not interact physically with protesters. You may not contr- use any riot control agents, etc. Have we learned anything more about this? Uh, you know, who the hell is this guy and what happened? Chauncey, we have about 30 seconds, by the way, until we hit well, a heartbreak. Trump- My apologies. Yeah, we have Trumpers who are embedded throughout the government and civil service positions. We have other information, as you said, um, that highlights how at the highest level, stand down orders were given, equipment was denied. And because we're so limited on time, I want to leave folk with one thought. We're watching this trial, the Derek Chauvin trial. Compare the response, if there are protests there, just as we're seeing in Minnesota, with the response to what happened with January 6th and the white Trump insurrection. That reveals what you need to know about America. Yeah, yeah, all 400 years of it. I'm with you. Chauncey DeVega, brilliant. ChaunceyDeVega.com, Chauncey DeVega on Twitter. His most recent piece, Forgetting Won't Save You from Authoritarianism, you can read it over at Salon.com. Chauncey, thanks again for dropping by. It's always nice talking with you. Always a pleasure. So how do you think we should be dealing with insurrectionists and the Republicans who support them? Brian in Fairmont, Illinois. Hey, Brian, what's up? Comment on what you spoke of earlier when you mentioned adrenochrome and child abuse. Um, I think those are the most dangerous lies being promoted by Q and X-22. I suppose that that would be the worst thing that you could imagine. And it's gone on since ancient Rome. When you wanted to demonize a group, accusing them of those things made that group seem like monsters. And that's yeah, what's this going is the on phrase now. blood libel. Yep, and that's, that's what's going on now. But it's gone on forever. And I wonder if you remember, in the 80s and 90s, they did it to child care centers. There was one in California and one in Illinois. Yeah, the McMartin Preschool, yeah. Yeah, that was one. There were a few of them. And it was because, you know, a child care center, Republicans think you should be at home with your kids, not dropping them off. I don't think that was so political, Brian. I mean, I remember that very well. And and it seemed to me like that was there was this whole movement to find repressed memories and all this kind of stuff. And it turned out that it was one of these psychology fads that was largely B.S., 
Right, that was the tool they used, but it was the same accusations. I'm not sure that there's a direct analogy there. That was a, a very you know difficult time, I think. This, this has become nakedly political. And frankly, I think that the Q conspiracy theories about torturing children to crank up the adrenaline and adrenochrome in their bloodstream so you could drink their blood and get you know Correct. invigorated and all this kind of nonsense that apparently Marjorie T- Trader Green and others believe in. There's um, a lot of other. I don't, I know, I get it. That animates the crazed fringe, but I think that crazed fringe that believes that kind of stuff is probably much smaller than we realize. The much larger fringe that it, uh, yeah, I do too. The much larger fringe that I'm concerned about are the ones who believe that the Democratic Party has hijacked democracy, who are believing this big lie that Donald Trump and the Republicans are promoting, that our election was stolen in 2020, that Donald Trump actually won, there's widespread voter fraud, and therefore we've got to turn the election administration over to Republicans because they can take care of it. Those kinds of things are the things that you know, get right to the core of democracy. And to a certain extent, I think that some of the Comet Pizza kind of stuff is almost a distraction. And in fact, it appears, I'm not a daily or regular student of Q and QAnon and all this kind of stuff, but it appears that they're kind of backing away from that stuff and they're pushing a whole lot harder on the political stuff. This is becoming a full-blown fascist movement, or at least an authoritarian movement. Quinn in Seattle. Hey, Quinn, what's up? The first thing that we need to do is we need to reestablish the old rules for the media because it used to be that you would have to give equal time to both sides, no matter what, you know, if you were a broadcast network. I think that we need to reestablish parity in the media. And I know they're all, all going to do the both sides thing. You know, they're all going to be, oh, this side says this. And, this, and it's, it's going to well, be Well, and who decides? And A, it was really never that way, Quinn. And B, it's real problematic and it's just not going to happen. So, you know, I get your well, sentiment and I don't disagree I, with it, but... I strongly believe in the First Amendment. Absolutely. And, but I also think that you need to be able to establish a common reality, right? And if you can't do that, then there's no hope. There's literally no hope, Tom. Because in these people that we're talking about, these Republicans and conservatives, and I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad people, but I'm saying they don't think like you. And they don't think I, like you know, me. Quinn, they I think- agree with you on all those points. I'm telling you, I, you know, I did news from 1971 until 1978, every single day, or at least every single weekday from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. every morning. And I was okay. in the news business. I was working in radio. We were operating under the Fairness Doctrine. And the only time we had to give equal time to anybody was when the owner of the station, a guy named Chuck Drake, when Chuck Drake came on and did his little three-minute editorial, we had to give three minutes to somebody else because he was the owner of the station. If somebody called in and said something, no problem. If some politician came in and said something, no problem. We didn't have to offer equal time to anybody. If somebody ran a commercial, no problem. The only, the only equal time rule that applied with the Fairness Doctrine was when the owner of the station did an editorial. Same thing when I worked at Channel 6, WJAM TV in Lansing. For, I worked there for a little less than a year back in 1971, and, or maybe it was uh, 70. Um, same deal. When, when the guy who owned WJIM came on, and he only did it once a week, and he'd come on and give an editorial, part of my job was to find the person who was going to rebut it. 
He'd do a three-minute editorial. We'd get some member of the community to come out. It was usually about something like, hey, you know, the bond issue to, to, to pay for an improvement at Potter Park Zoo, right? Um, you know, but that was it. And, you know, we had we had a shared reality because you had three big television networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, that all behaved responsibly. But, you know, now you've got Fox News. They're on cable. Cable is not regulated by the Federal Communications Commission. I mean, you know, arguably it could be because cable you know, runs through our commons, but it's not. It doesn't go over our airwaves. And so the biggest force that is driving fascism in the United States is on cable television. And it's principally Fox News, followed by OAN and, and uh, whatever the other one is, you know, Newsmax, I guess it is. If we went back to the old rules, it would not solve this problem. Well, I think that the problem is fundamentally that the Republicans are allowed to lie consistently yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and there's no way to actually stop but, but, them. But, Quinn, let's say we pass a law that says that people can't lie on television or radio anymore. What happens when the next president is Josh Hawley and he says, OK, Hartman, you're lying, in my opinion. You have to be shut down. The president won't be able to say that. It's not about... That. FCC works for the president. Well, because, okay, so the FCC works for the president. I understand that, but we can separate that. Congress, our, our body of government, our government can change. So who's going to decide? Who's going to decide what's true and what's not true? It's not about truth or not truth. It's about allowing people to actually see that there are more, there's more than one perspective. It's allowing them the opportunity to have a chance because people who watch Fox News yeah. don't. No, I, 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 I get that. I, you know, if you if you want to aim your fire at something that is causing people to go deeper and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, it is, I think, frankly, the thing that is more radicalizing for Americans than presence of right wing BS on cable TV are the algorithms that the big social media companies, principally Facebook, YouTube, and, and Twitter, but, but you know, right across the board, these secret algorithms that they use that drive people deeper and deeper and deeper into more and more radical content. And there are efforts by those companies to get some of that under control. And that's the area that I think we need to be looking at. And, and frankly, you've got, I think they're realizing this. Facebook is running ads right now saying, we want to be regulated. So, you know, step by step, but there's no easy answer. I, I think HR1 is a huge easy answer, as a, at least as a starting point. We've got to pass the For the People Act, and that means blowing up the filibuster. It, that is gonna solve at least 50% of the problem that I've identified. But beyond that, it's, it's gonna be a whole bunch of little pieces around the edges. Kevin in Birmingham, Alabama. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind? Under Florida's new run over the protesters law. What if they try to hit a protester who has a gun and the protester shoots him saying he was standing on his ground? Then what happens? <laughs> oh, wow. And by the way, Oklahoma, the governor of Oklahoma just signed one of these laws too, that if you kill a protester with your car, you are held harmless. If anybody is protesting and they happen to be on a public street and they obstruct traffic, they've now committed a felony. They've now committed a crime and they can go to jail for I think it's up to five years. Maybe it's a little less than that, but it's it's, it's maybe it's a year and a five thousand dollar fine. But that's that's a great thought experiment, Kelvin. It's like, are you standing your ground with the gun? Yeah, I mean, somebody's hitting you with a car. 
it has the potential to take your life. Yeah. Do I stop yeah, that person or do I just let yeah. it hit me? And how is the insurance industry going to handle this? Because either way it goes, you can't go around. I hit you with my car. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's there's a there's a lot of stuff there. I have a feeling that uh, over the course of the next few years, um, you know, assuming that the Republicans don't succeed in their plan to hold power by cutting out the right of people to vote, I think that's going to frankly backfire on them. I think that a lot of these pieces of legislation are going to get flushed out of the system. This is all just hyper reactivity. What we're looking at, in my opinion, is the last gasp. Uh, although we've thought, uh, you know, the last gasp of white supremacy, of white nationalism, of white racism, although we've been thinking that we've been seeing the last gasp ever since 1865, it is persistent. It is going to last. But I think things are getting a lot better. and They're getting a lot better, a lot faster than, than a lot of people thought was even possible. So, Kelvin, thanks. Thanks for the thought experiment. That's a good one. I appreciate those things. Donna in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Donna, what's up? Well, I wanted to kind of in that same vein share what the state legislature is doing here in Atlanta. You may have heard mm-hmm. that they passed, they proposed a bill to take the Buckhead section out of Atlanta, which you know was the high rent district. They want to right. keep it cityhood so that they will um, not be under the control of the, the you know, city of Atlanta um, government. And oh, that's interesting. Buckhead is not only, I should add, Donna, if this is still the case, I mean, it's been 20 years since I lived in Atlanta, but Buckhead not only is the high rent district and where all the fancy stores are, it's kind of like the Rodeo Drive of Atlanta, mm-hmm. but it's also almost right. entirely white. That's right. And, and the city that they would create would be about, 90, about 87% white, and it would have a capita income of about $120,000 a year or higher, that would leave all of the residents of the city of Atlanta, which would have a much lower per capita income, maybe about half as much, they would be stuck with all of the payments for the municipal government, the, the streets and all of that, but they wouldn't have the tax base. And they've right. done the same thing. The state legislature has proposed the same thing with Hartsfield Airport. Uh, they want to take it from under the control of the city entity and put it into the state. And again, all so, of the revenue that's generated would go to the state. It wouldn't go to right. the So the bottom line here, forgive the interruption, but we're going to hit a break in 10 seconds. So the bottom line here is they're trying to gut the tax base for the largely black portions of Atlanta and basically boost the largely white portions. Is that right, Donna? Do I have that right? That's the bottom line. Yes, that's what they're yeah. doing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And did they ever run MARTA through Buckhead? I know when I lived there, they, you know, Buckhead didn't want MARTA coming through there. Yeah, MARTA is there, but they also have a little Buckhead system huh. as well. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Donna, I got to run, but th- thank you. Thanks for the update. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
Noam Chomsky was asked a somewhat more general question about the Republican Party, and he made the point, and I thought it was a, a cogent point, and in fact, I, you know, I want to go out of my way to agree with it here right now. I've been kind of dancing around it in a whole number of pieces that I've written about the Republican Party recently, that the Republican Party is the most dangerous organization in the history of the world. Now, you know, on its face, that sounds hyperbolic. Like, you know, what? What are you talking about? It's just a political party. Come on. But the Republican Party, because they take so much money from oil billionaires. I mean, keep in mind the the network that the Koch brothers put together, oil billionaires, they inherited their oil fortune from daddy. The network that they have put together has more employees in more places and a larger budget than the RNC. And that's just one of several billionaire networks that basically own big chunks of the Republican Party. But that one in particular has created an environment in which every Republican is afraid, I mean literally afraid, to acknowledge that climate change is real. At the same time, the climate change is, is, has the West on fire, is flooding the Midwest, whacking the Southeast with hurricanes and tornadoes. We're getting derechos, you know, mile-long, wide paths of tornadoes, essentially. I mean, you know, the weather patterns we've never seen before. Bomb cyclones? Bomb cyclones, really? All this cold air from the Arctic just kind of, you know, which used to be kept in place by the jet stream, but now the jet stream is weakening because of global warming. It's all kind of dipping down and whacking us. And the result of this is that, you know, now we're, we're seeing famine beginning in parts of the world, particularly equatorial parts of the world. We're seeing it in Central America. I mean, it hasn't reached full-scale famine, but we're seeing farmers being pushed off their land, in some cases ending up on our southern border. We're seeing the same thing across, you know, the central parts of Europe and or southern parts of Europe and Asia. So we've got a Republican Party that is promoting global climate change denial, which has the potential, and this was his specific point, was that this has the potential to not just destroy life on Earth and all that kind of thing, but certainly over the short term, destroy human civilization. I mean, what happens when everybody starts fighting for increasingly smaller shares of resources? You know, resources like arable land or water. The Republican Party is also now the party that is openly promoting racism. Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene putting together the America First Party that's going to adhere to Anglo-Saxon principles. I don't think they even know who the Anglo-Saxons were, actually. We're talking, you know, Paul de Rapin de Terrasse's Whig histories, the, 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 the books about, you know, what England was like before the Norman invasion. Prior to that, you know, the, you had these Germanic tribes living in England, apparently in a fairly egalitarian fashion, but they weren't Christian. They didn't resemble anything that Marjorie Taylor Greene would get, but no, she wants to create an organization. So, so we've got 
a Republican Party committed to racism. We've got a Republican Party committed to destroying the planet through through uh, carbon dioxide poisoning. You've got a Republican Party that is committed to guns and violence. You've got a Republican Party that is committed to increasing pollution. Look at the four years of the Trump administration, cutting back on all kinds of moving scientists out of town and cutting back on regulations. A Republican Party that is using hate and division as their principal political tool. Oh my God, sanctuary cities. Oh my God, the border. Oh my God, brown people are coming. Oh my God, you know, who's in the bathroom now? You've got a Republican Party that is aggressively promoting economic inequality. They want the billionaires to get richer and richer and richer and screw the average working person. No, you can't have a union. You've got a Republican Party that is trashing the rights of women. Now they're not just going after abortion, they're going after birth control. You got a Republican Party that is embracing authoritarianism, that is anti-democratic, that doesn't want your vote to count, doesn't even want you to be allowed to vote if they don't think that you're a safe Republican voter. You've got a Republican Party that is opposed to science and education and trying to strip both out of our textbooks. Is the Republican Party the most dangerous organization on earth? Or is there some other group that I'm missing somehow? I think increasingly Chomsky was right. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 